May you be the one thing that drives our desire, our passions, and our decisions, God. There are so many things that want our focus. I pray that you would be number one. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm sorry. That was not a good morning. That wasn't even an adequate morning. Let's try it again. Now, we have kids in here this morning. Are you kids ready? Can you be louder than the adults? Should we do a competition? All right, let's do this first. Kids, you're going to say good morning when I count to three, and then adults, you're going to say good morning. That's childish. I don't want to do that. Get over it. You like it. Ready? Here's the kids. Ready? Kids, three, two, one. Kids, not childish, so. All right. All right, here we go. Adults, are you ready? Now, come on. Come on, are you ready? Three, two, one. I'm sorry, kids, you guys lost. The adults won on that one. And it's not just because I'm an adult and I believe that we're superior. I love you, kids. So we had a little bit of a, an interesting miscommunication on today. Uh, today is a special Sunday. We only had four songs. It's a shortened service. Uh, that also includes, calm down, that also includes a uh, shorter message from me. And we're actually going to be doing question and answer. And all of the kids next door over this past month have been asking questions. I had a stack, I think it was eight or maybe it was 12 questions, all from just a couple of Sundays. Uh, one of the things that I like to do is have the kids that ask the question on the paper come forward and ask the question in person. But since we didn't have names on the paper because of a miscommunication or whatever, we're not going to do that. <laughs> we're going to make it even simpler. So this morning, one of the things that is not usual for what I typically do for question and answer is I'm going to read off some questions. And kids, if you have had this question before, raise your hand, all right, so we know whose question we're answering. And if you haven't, then we'll have the next question. We're going to hit three questions really quick, and then we're going to hit a big question, all right? So the first question is this, how come the angel wanted Mary to be pregnant? How many of you kids have ever had that question? There's one, all right. It was probably you too. There's another one. There's another. All right. There's more. Bandwagon, anybody. How come the angel wanted Mary to be pregnant? It seems like a silly question of, well, she had to be pregnant to have a baby. But the reality is, is that Mary had to be pregnant. If you look at the question, how come the angel wanted Mary to be pregnant? These are going to be somewhat Christmas related. Here's the answer. Jesus had to come into the world like every human does. It kind of seems like one of those questions where you're like, well, duh, he just he had to be born. That's how it happens. But there was a purpose to it. God wanted to have Jesus be fully human, go through all the experiences that every human has so he could speak and share and communicate exactly how a human does and die like a human would die. He had to be fully human. Otherwise, if he wasn't born like a human, he wouldn't have been human. If he just appeared and showed up in a crib with everything perfect and 
he just said, bless you, and the family sneezed and was just the perfect little baby, it would have been strange. He likely cried. He likely blew out the back of his diaper and ruined a, a set of swaddling clothes. There's all kinds of things that happened because it was human. So that was the first question. Here's the second question from the kids. This one I've been asked before over the years. Why didn't God wait until Mary was older and married to have Jesus? Mary was actually around 12 to 14 years old. Now, today in our society, we are like, how could that ever happen? That's abuse. That's slavery. That's horrible. She's never able to do that. Get out of your first world mind. There's thousands of years that have been doing life before us. We don't know everything. 12 to 14 years old was the average age for thousands of years that marriage would happen. Men, it was typically 14 to 16, maybe even up to 17. And that was, the, that was the oldest that they would get before they would get married. And that was part of the culture. So if I came into this room and anybody, any of you kids speak anything other than English, you're not a kid. You're a kid at heart. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways that I could come in here and confuse you if I acted different. If I stood on my hands and tried to preach, would that be weird? Would that distract you? Yes, it would be actually a miracle because I can't do that. My, my daughter Liv can, yes. So there's two things for us to realize. In ancient cultures, and even in cultures outside of America, marriages happen at a much younger age for two reasons. Number one, they didn't have all the distractions of today where we have all these accomplishments outside of marriage and family. They also didn't live very long. So their lives were highly compressed. Many kids were running businesses at 12 years old back in those days. They had the ability and the maturity to make abstract decisions, to hold on to responsibilities and so on. If you read through the Bible, many of the, between 8 and 12 years old, some of the boys were becoming kings and having advisors that were 40, 50, 60 years older than them. Why? Because they could comprehend those things. And this is a little bit for parents. If you have kids that are much older that still have a tremendous amount of your hands on their life, let go a little bit. Let them do some things. Let them learn some, some skills and some strengths and understand who they are in God as a child. Because there's a lot more that I think we can get from them, especially in today where everything is done for all of us, adults and children. The second reason that God wanted to have Mary pregnant at this age and so on, not to match what today is like. God didn't go forward and go, well, in 2018, there's going to be a kid that's really offended by this. So I'm going to make sure she gets married at 32, has already finished her career, has three degrees, all these great things, and, and then she gets pregnant. No. God matches the culture that he's speaking to to be relevant. And, and many times in the church and many times in different... Uh, ultra-righteous and holy areas, people badmouth relevancy. I'm sorry, God wrote the Bible to be relevant to the people he wrote it to. That's why we don't see some of the things that we have today in here. We have the same character problems. We have the same God that we need to talk with. His character hasn't changed. How he revealed his character throughout time did change. Said differently, the method always has to change, but the message is always the same. So God, coming to earth in that time, to be relevant so the people can understand it, 
and be able to communicate the message of the gospel, he used whatever was there culturally. It's not a wrong or right problem with God. Relevance is not a wrong or right. When relevance becomes the gospel, that's the problem. But we must use relevance to communicate the gospel. That's, that's the truth. And the best example of that is what I gave when I talked about coming up here. If I walked up here and spoke in a mixture of Swahili and Haitian Creole, none of you would understand what I'm saying. You would have no benefit. Some of you would be angry. Some of you might go, I think I recognize that word. Oh, he just said poo, which doesn't mean what you guys think it does in English. It's a whole different word in, in Haitian Creole. It wouldn't be relevant. So I would speak in a language, use words, use phrases, use examples that you can understand. And so God did the same thing. That, in fact, God coming to earth fully as a human is the greatest example of relevance because for thousands of years, God interacted with his people in a way that was unapproachable. And so in order to break that barrier, he came as a human, matching us at our level. It's, he's the ultimate at being relevant. He came to us as a human. Here's the second or the third question, kind of the, the rapid-fire answers that I'm giving here. Oh, no, I'm not usually this quick in answering. This is the third question of this morning. Why didn't God just make us Christians when he made us? Sometimes we have that question. We say it differently. I, I love how kids ask it. It's just very straightforward. If Christians are what following God looks like, why don't we just follow him? Why don't he just make us that way? I've had that question from almost every new believer I've ever mentored. Because I hate doing all these wrong things. I hate constantly battling against my own problems and issues and so on. Why couldn't God have just made me actually like these things? Why couldn't he have just forced me to do it? Well, there's a, there's a whole theology behind this of why and who God created us to be and why God created us this way. But here are two answers to kind of just touch on a little bit. And I may answer this question at a different time with some more detail. Here's the first answer. He did. He did. We messed it up. That is what Eden was, was perfect paradise with no reason at all to choose anything other than him. He did make us in a way that it was irresistible because we were constantly in his presence in perfect paradise. But we messed it up. And some people would ask the question, well, why would he allow for it to mess up? Because God said we are made in his image, which is part of the answer to the next question, or the next, part, next answer to the question. God's trait of free will was created into us. We are in his image. It was created into us so we could choose to love him and not be forced. All of us know when our child does something, or our friend, or a coworker, or someone that works for us, when they do it because they realize they have to because they don't want to deal with whatever other junk would happen because they said no. We also know when they do it from the heart. Now, if you're some tyrannical dictator, you might enjoy it either way. But if you're a person that truly has a heart, you know the, the, the second option when someone does something because they want to is much more enjoyable. You maintain a relationship, you realize they care, you care, there's still a mutual connection between the two of you. And usually it goes beyond just the event. If I'm going to obey someone just in that moment, it's because they're looking and because they've whined and complained to me. If I'm going to obey and listen no matter what, it doesn't matter what's happening, I always want to honor them. So when God created us, there's a trait of free will in us that to just make us Christian at creation 
would make us simply robots, and we would have no more value than a tree or a rock or some other kind of bug or animal. But God values us higher than all of that and put us in a situation to have a relationship, not out of his need, but out of his want. God doesn't need any of us. He wants us. If he created us as robots, that's because he needed and had to control us. But he wants us and leaves the choice with us. It's important to realize that, and it's a very simple answer to a very complex question, and there's many other answers I could give. I can tell you that the pastor's pick for January is probably one of the most amazing discipleship books I have ever read. And I'm, yes, I'm a Bible nerd, I'm a theology nerd. I have had goosebumps halfway through the book so far because of how God is connecting together some truths that have always been there. I've always seen them in Scripture, but this writer has pieced it together in such a powerful way that I'm actually praying about writing a curriculum with him to change out everything here for our discipleship curriculum. It's that impactful. And the message inside of that is this picture of how we've had this pattern of rebellion, the spiritual world has had this pattern of rebellion where we just say no. And we choose the the worst thing instead of the better thing. So God's trait of free will in his image is how he created us. And here's why. God's core trait is love. Not love of affection or brownies or a girl or a boy. Love of choice, agape. And that's the trait that he wants us to have where we make that choice to be conditionless and love him. And that's important for each one of us. That's the only way that friendships and relationships actually stay together because we're terrible to each other. That's the only reason a marriage can actually hold together because we're terrible to each other. That's the only reason that God still loves us and hasn't wiped us out because for some reason he's choosing to want us and love us. That is an amen. Kids, yell out amen. Amen. That's not yelling. Yell out amen. 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 It's important for us to realize that. So here is a question The next question, it's a question that's asked when you have an atheist and a Christian in a debate. It's almost asked every single time. You'll see it on YouTube if you do it. Atheist and Christian debate, you'll see this question asked. You'll have this, uh, sometimes Christians use a bad logic, a bad answer that caused the atheist to ask this question. So I want to bring this question up. It was asked by one of our kids. It's actually two questions together, and here, both of these questions were asked this way. How was God made, or how did God get born? And I know who asked one of these questions. It was my Olivia. How did God get born? How was God made? And the reason that this question comes up is because people say, well, look at the complexity around us. It had to be created, and if if it's complex, it had to have a creator, and that's true, but it's a, it's a partial truth because if you keep using that and you get to God and you say, God is so complex, therefore, based on that logic, he had to have been created too. So the logic begins to kind of fall apart if we use that as a blanket statement, as we, if we use complexity as the only argument for a creator. Uh, there's many other things that would be a great argument. The other thing is, is that answering this question with, well, he just was. He just, he's, he's always just been. It's not sufficient because it's just based on my authority and my observations, which can be destroyed pretty quickly 
The best answer has three parts, and we'll, we'll bring it from Scripture, but here's kind of the overarching piece. We have to identify who God is. We have to establish where he is, and, and I hate using the general term God because it's actually a title. It's not his name. I don't believe we really even know his name, but I know the Hebrews use the name Yahweh, and actually many other cultures document the name Yah and Yahweh in their writings outside of Israel uh, and Jewish writings. In order for God to be God, he has to be greater than us in every way. That's by very nature why we would use the title or term God, is that there's a greatness beyond what I can understand, what I can do, what I can think, what I can comprehend, all these different things. There's this greatness that goes beyond. And, and Scripture, the Hebrews, when they wrote the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, used comparative terms, almighty, most high, the greatest, uh, the, the Lord of hosts or the God of hosts, the overarching power overall. All these things which elevated God to something far beyond than we could ever wrap our arms around. So in order for God to be God, he has to be greater than us in every way. Here is the first point I want us to think about this morning for this question. Remember, how was God made or how did God get born? And I think she actually asked the question, how did God get borned? Which is, that's better grammar. So here's, here's the first one. The first point for us to think about. Number one, God is greater than us. We have to start there. We have to really start with God is greater than us in every way. If he's not, then we should worship you. We should just worship whatever. We should spend our time with whatever. But if he is, we have to respond to that. We could respond by simply ignoring it. We could respond by seeking more. But there has to be a response. It's an irresistible force around us. Uh, the Greek writers were quoted by Paul when Paul said that in him we live and move and have our uh, uh, being. That was a quote from Paul from another poem that was actually in that Greco time. They even believed that everything around them was influenced by God, that he had a purpose and he had a plan, and he was so great that we were just simply experiencing his greatness. We could never get all of our head wrapped around it, which is very true. So we have to start with that. God is greater than us in every way. Where, where do we see that? Well, in history, the first people that, that had interaction with the Creator had messages like this. For Yahweh, your God, He is God of the gods, Lord of the lords, the great and mighty God. I think that sounds pretty huge. I think that's a big deal. That not only is He God as a title, but His status is the greatest of all. Any kind of master or lordship in the spiritual or the physical realm. God of gods, Lord of lords. That's what that comparison is. The great and the mighty God. The awesome one who is not partial and does not take bribes. Now here's something that we get confused on. Is not partial, does not take bribes. We're like, yeah, this is great. This is God is really big. He's huge. And he's not some slimy used car salesman. No offense to used car salespeople in here. Well, here's the issue. This is the two, these are the two problems that humans have. We get partial and choose to do things because we think they can benefit us. Or we pay a little bit more. It could contend that um, the tipping system is a reverse or a delayed bribe. It's an, it's an intent to say, hey, if you, if you take care of me, if you give me partiality, I will therefore give you some money. It's just a delayed bribe in the way that most of us treat it. 
This is a human trait. And so what he says here is that the two core traits that happen to cause almost all the problems in human relationships, whether we're partial to ourselves or partial to somebody else over somebody else, God doesn't have those traits. He is not human. He doesn't have pieces of humanity. It's the opposite. We have elements of God's character in us. We're the lesser. And so that's why this, this scripture is here to say, listen, he's the originator. He is not the living one. He's the life-giving and originating one. There's a better translation of that phrase, the living God. Here's the next part. One of the psalmists is writing and extremely excited about the greatness of God. And here's what he says. Psalm 147.5, he says this, Our Lord is great. That word Lord there is, is, is master, the great one. Our Lord is great and has awesome power, and there is no limit to his wisdom. And these two things in Deuteronomy and in Psalms, they're repeated all over the place. Whenever there's an interaction or some sort of relationship or some sort of connection or, or reaction to the Creator, the response is always this greatness. If any of you have ever had the moment in your life where you just, you just connected and you realized God had influenced something in your life, you can never walk by that and just go, oh, that was neat. It's awe-inspiring. We would say the word awesome. It doesn't match our brain and how we would think. It's overwhelming. And so we have to take the stance, as point one says, God is greater than us in every way. We have to set that. That's not an answer to the question. That's a context for the question. So how was God made, or how did God get born? Well, first, we have to realize that he's greater than us in every way. Number two, the reason why we have to ask this question is because we, we forget. Remember, we have attributes of God. It's not that he has attributes of us. So we have to go to number two and say, we have a beginning and limited power. Again, I'm just setting context. I'm setting context for us because this question often comes up and we think of it only in our mental ability. And when we do that, we immediately are unable to answer the question. We have to say, if we're talking about God, we're talking about something greater than us. So the second part, the second point here is this. We have a beginning, which we do. None of us remember the actual beginning at conception. We, many of us don't remember the first two to five years of our life. But we have a beginning. We know that. We have pictures or, or we have a birthday that, that we track time of our life based on. We have a beginning. And we have limited power. In fact, the older and stronger and smarter you get, the older and weaker and dumber you feel, right? Because we begin to what? We begin to notice how much, I know kids, that's hard to believe because you are absolutely immortal and the smartest things ever right now, especially teenagers. That is the peak. Don't get older because you're at the peak. It all is downhill from here. But the thing for us to remember is that as we go and, and find out how much we know, we realize more of what we do not know. And it's important for us kids at a kid's age, to realize the greatness of God and not to try and have power of our own because we can't. I have the worst time in my life, the most stress, the most anxiety, the most lack of joy, the most depression, the most anger and, and short-temperedness when I am trying to have a stranglehold on life. When things go out of my control, that's when I go out of control. And that's when 
people start to become casualties instead of precious co-imagers of Christ with me. They become the problem instead of a partner because we're all equal. In front of God, we're all his kids. Here's what I want us to read, Isaiah 40. I, I read this in like 15 different versions. I even went back to the Hebrew and read it. It is such a powerful verse. Isaiah 40 says this. This was, this was a, a, he was trying to kind of be condescending, but also treating it as an announcement. And says this, do you not know? Have you not heard? To the people who are God's people, do you not know? Are you in a church and you don't know who God is? You don't know his character traits? Here's what he says. The Lord, all capital, you could say here, instead of the Lord, you would use his, the Hebrew name. Yahweh is the everlasting God. There is no beginning. There is no end. That's what everlasting means. You could use the word eternal. The creator of the ends of the earth, meaning he knows from the beginning and the end of the earth. That's why he put his hand on the shoulder of John and said, listen, man, I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I've been there, I've done that, and I'm going to be there and do that. I got you. This character trait of his, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. I haven't even traveled the whole earth. My foot hasn't touched every piece of soil. It never can, it never will. I'm not that great. But he created each piece individually, knows every detail of it throughout time itself. Stands on top of it, outside of it, is the pictures they would use in the Old Testament times. And then says this, he will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. How do you know these things, God? So many times in my life, I've sat back and, and had this experience, which realistically, in my own life and heart, would have been terrifying had I not known beforehand that God was going to be doing it. One of the greatest examples is when I had broken my leg in Nicaragua on a mission trip. Two weeks prior, I'm in my devotion time. I'm just leaning back in my chair and praying. And I honestly don't care if you agree or think or believe me in this case because I experienced it and I know it. God gave me a vision of the exact experience of my leg breaking, it turning around, bones popping out, all the kids around me in this neighborhood, this slum. Two weeks later, it happens. As soon as I looked at my leg, immediately heard my voice, I knew, I've got you. And I just laid down on the ground with my leg all mangled up and going, he knew. No fear. And if you know me, there's no reason for me to not have fear. Any of us in a third world country, we're just praying to use a Bic lighter on the IV, right? Something. Lick, lick it off first before you stab it in. Whatever it is. There were so many reasons to have fear. You, you can't even, I mean, it's a compound fracture. Both leg bones are broken. This is not like, ah, oh, he twisted his ankle. Grab him a brace and walk him home. But there was no fear. Why? Because God didn't get tired and go, oh, I'm so sorry, Joe. Totally napped on that one. Totally messed up on that. My B, Joe, I'll let you, uh, you know, take care of that and see what's happening. No, he didn't get tired and mess up. He knew, and he had something to share with me, mainly because I'm so stubborn, and I don't listen and obey like I should, so he had to break my leg to get me to stop being so stubborn and learn patience. Now, that's not going to be the same for everyone, because each of you have an individual relationship with Jesus. 
And the only reason I can say he did let my leg break on purpose is because I asked him and he answered me and I wasn't nice. We can't understand his fa- or fathom the depth of how smart and how wise he is. Now, here's the last point that I want us to think about. And I only say this because we don't have, obviously, have enough time. I will be ending in just less than 10 minutes. And now I'll be ending in an hour and 10 minutes. Because <laughs> y'all know I can keep going. Man, we, could, we could bust out Isaiah and just go for it. Yahweh, God, has no beginning and no end. He wasn't born. His very character traits was to be on the outside of all time, the outside of the limitations that humanity has, which means we have to be born to be human. God says it is appointed to man, that birth and that death. So because of who he is, because of the context of the fact that he is greater than us in every way, that human traits are to be born and be trapped in time, God has to be outside of that. He doesn't have a birth. He says that he was there before and he'll be there after. If God did have a birth, we need to start searching for another one because this one's lying because he said he had no birth, that he's everlasting, no beginning, no end. When God says the phrase, I am the Alpha and Omega, I am the beginning and the end, he's saying that to us not of himself as a self-identification. He's saying to us, listen, you're not the beginning and the end. There was time before you and my character was there too. There will be time after you and my character will be there too. I'm your beginning and end. I pick both of those, he says. It's important for us to remember that. So here's what I want to do. We're going to close with this verse. Because most of the questions today, and the real reason for questions, is because we want to know. We, we want to know more of God, or maybe we don't understand enough, or maybe we actually question the reality or the truth that God's put in front of us. Maybe the character traits that we've read in the Bible, or heard in a teaching, or heard on the radio, or read in a book, don't seem to match with my experience in my life. This is why Isaiah 40 was written to remind and say, don't, don't you know? Listen, remember this. You should know this, he says. You're the people of God. And since he is a loving God and caring God, he doesn't just stop with, don't you know, have you heard? He doesn't just stop there. And I believe that's a character trait that we try and model here, which is why we have Q&A Sundays every single month. Because people should be asking questions and should be reminded of the truth. Because I don't know everything. Anybody out there know everything? Yeah, there we go. Teenage boy. Love it. <laughs> Quick, get him a job. We don't know. We don't know at all. So here's what I want to do. First off, all the kids have been awesome. In fact, adults, let's give them a round of applause. Now we're going to bow our heads, and while every head's bowed and every eyes are uh, closed, I want to read this verse as a reminder for us 
And then we're going to close in prayer. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Have you forgotten that the Lord is the everlasting God? The creator of the ends of the earth. That he's not going to grow tired or weary. And that his understanding no one can fathom. God, this morning, whoever has that verse as a reminder, I pray that you would encourage them with it. That when we look out on life, when we look out on the situation, whatever it is, whether it's job or marriage or friendship or house or money or whatever it is, that we have to be reminded of the fact that you are the greatest God. And that if we look at our lives and we're not sure what's happening, you're not worried about what's happening. You're not wondering what to do. God, we just need to sit back and get out of your way. Stop trying to be you and worship you for who you are and how great you are. And Lord, we thank you for this past year, 2018. There's parts of it that I'm sure some of us aren't thankful for, God, but I pray that we would see what you want to speak to us in those hard times. I pray for every family in here, God, as we go into 2019, that you, that in Jesus' name, that you would work and move in ways that these families would be different for your name. That you would guide them, God, and show them the things that they need to be the man of God and the woman of God that you've created them to be. Lord, I thank you for every single child in here, whether born or unborn. And I pray that you would work inside of their life giving them peace only from you, helping them to see your face in all of the, just the amazing world that we live in and give you glory for their whole life, God. We thank you, God, for this day. And we pray that we would honor you with this coming year. In Jesus' name, everyone together? Amen. We typically do a, a big list of announcements, so I'm gonna do a, a short bit of announcements, but I have to cover some things that are very important. So one, one last few minutes, kids. Can you do it? Are you ready? No? Well, at least you're honest. That's what I love. All right. So you have inside of, of your handouts here, Alaska Prayer Summit. You may not have the schedule to do this. If you do, don't miss out on this. This is going to be a time of prayer dedicated to full days. Uh, I'm going to try and be there for most of it that we will be focused on praying for the new year and what God has. It's not hosted here. It's hosted at Summit Worship Center. The Valley Pastors Prayer Network that we're part of here um, is part of hosting it and facilitating it. And so I would encourage you, if you have the time, put this on. And if you can't make it, pray for the actual activity, the event that's going on. Here's the next thing. If you have um, two things, if you are a leader at RISE, or if you would like to be a leader in any way, whether it rise or not, sign up for this. Fill out this application. Um, right now, I've had a few people that said that they have filled it out, but I don't have it. So if you have done that, make sure you click submit, because if you don't, then you did a whole lot of work with no output. <laughs> so uh, it's like exercising without plugging in the bike. So make sure you click submit and send that in. Finally, if you are willing to be part of, if you open your your um, bulletin, and then, I don't know, uh, Russell, are you doing announcements also? 
Okay, cool. Because I have some that I don't know about that Tears have sent you and Kelly sent you. Um, Valley Pastors Prayer Network. If you're able to, on one of the Thursdays this month, be a host to be able to make up a meal, bring it in and set it up. We, have, we are hosting all the pastors from the Valley get together and pray every Thursday of every month. And so we host a meal and, and different churches all over the Valley. This month is hosted by Rise. It's actually the second time we've gotten to do it. So every Thursday, starting this Thursday, we have that covered. If you're able to come and help afterwards and clean up, that'd be awesome. Or if you can cook a meal for that, it's around 10 to sometimes 20 uh, men that are there. You can sign up. There's a clipboard on top of the information center where the Rise gear is to sign up for one of those days. So right now we only have one Thursday covered. I'd like to make sure they're all covered so that we can bless these pastors in this valley. And then I'll hand over to Russell for any of the, the last-minute announcements. God bless you guys.